Welcome to episode 89 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Why, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, (laughs) if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code melanieavalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit but sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee.
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 89 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And happy New Year's Eve, Jen. Absolutely. This one is re- is releasing on New Year's Eve, so everybody make sure to have a really fun New Year's Eve. Do you have any special New Year's Eve tra- traditions? We really don't. No. <laughs> you know, some years we go to a, a New Year's Eve party that friends have, and most years we stay home. <laughs> We've had our own party a few times, but I've just more and more gotten to be a homebody, so... You know, last year, I think it was just my husband and I sitting there, and I think we, like, played cards and <laughs> drank some champagne and had some snacks and made it to midnight. We're the, the wild party people. That's probably what we'll do this year. I mean, we have had the times at home we would do that. I definitely remember New Year's Eve took on a whole new experience when I transitioned from, like, when I became of age. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. And could yeah. partake. Well, you know, here in Georgia – you, oh, um, you can drink at hot, home. You can drink at home. Yeah. I didn't know that until I, they have this thing where the, the judge has like a session for parents, then a separate session for kids, like teaching you all about It's called Teenage Years 101. And really all it did was terrify me of all the ways the children could get into trouble. But it was very educational. But he talked to us. He said, you know, what's the drinking age? When can they drink at home? We're all like 21. He's like, no, they can actually drink at home if you give it to them. And I'm like, what? I didn't know that. I mean, you can't give it to other people's kids. Yeah, I learned that last year, I think, and it was a mind-blown moment. I was like, what? Yeah. And I remember I went and yeah. looked up all the different states that did that. I don't remember which ones did, but um, 
So not every state's the same. See, I didn't know. But I didn't know that Georgia allowed you to do that. So it will be nice, though, when both my boys are of age. I'm ready for that. One is 19 and one's 20, and I'm ready for them to just be 21. (laughs) It's funny, actually. I feel like that was the same in our family. By the time a few of the kids are 21, you just want them all to be 21, especially like going out to eat dinner. Yeah. All right. Shall we jump into everything for today? Yes, let's get started. All right. So to start things off, we have some listener feedback, and this comes from Peggy, and the subject is Stuff We Like. And Peggy says, I recently found your podcast. I don't even really remember how. I think I just did a search on Stitcher for intermittent fasting. I've been doing IF now for about six weeks with great results from my messed up gut. And I'm just going to say, Peggy, I hear you with that. <laughs> she, says, she says, I've actually been on about a 10-year journey to get this gut and my mind issues figured out. Anyhow, I just thought it was neat when I went to the Stuff We Like section today and everything you recommended was basically everything I had come to on my own for my own research. Hours and hours and hours of research, I might add. That's too bad I didn't find you first. Anyhow, it was still very com- it was still very comforting to know that others had done the research and come to the same conclusions. I just started the serapeptase after listening to your podcast with the Bi Optimizers guy. I have a lot of sinus issues I can't seem to clear up even with a super clean diet, and I have uterine cysts that cause a lot of pain and some internal scar tissues, so I'm hopeful. Anyhow, really enjoy your podcast. Thanks. So yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Um I can definitely relate to Peggy in a lot of ways with the gut issues. And then uh, clearly we all like, we like the same things. Um, so for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, she's, she's talking about that page and that's where we list all of the stuff that we like. Have you, do you look at that page ever, Jen? Have you even? Sometimes. I do look at it. Like for example, when someone's asking for the link to prep dish, Mm -hmm. I'll go and I'll pull it from there and share it with them. There's a lot of stuff there. That we like a lot of stuff. I know. (laughs) it is like a treasure trove it's kind of nice to have it all in one place it is all right shall we get into our next listener feedback yes and this one is from charlie and i love this one i know thank you i do and this is the subject is updated window app is awesome and charlie says hey guys i wanted to write in to promote the newly updated window app so jen doesn't have to smiley emoticon Jen's son, Cal, recently updated his window app for iPhone and iPad, and while it was pretty useful initially, I found myself using other fasting apps for tracking due to some lacking features. I cannot say that anymore. Cal recently updated the app, and it has blown me away. He not only added amazing day-to-day scheduling features, which is perfect for a 4-3 alternate day fasting person like myself, He fully takes advantage of so many iOS features, it is seriously unbelievable that this is a single programmer app. The new timeline, a today widget, a home screen, force touch touch shortcuts, Siri shortcuts for closing, opening, and asking how much time is left in my window, and even the option to choose the app icon color. I am truly impressed and cannot recommend the app enough. Long story, story short, get the window app. Thanks. Charlie. And I have to say, this is not a plant. I did not plant this <laughs> this um, review. It's just, we really got this as a listener feedback. So and thank I, you. And go ahead. I, yeah, this email came in and I was like, I'll put it in the lineup. So like like Charlie said, he, he wants to promote it so Jen doesn't have to. So, and then I put it in so Jen had to read it. <laughs> oh, I love that. And I'm so proud of, of my son. And, um, you know, he made this app initially for me. He was home. This was like, let's, I think it was 2016. He was home for break at some point. And he, um, maybe it was, I can't remember what break he was home for. And I'm like, I need an app. I want an app that tracks my window. I don't want to track my fast. All the other fasting apps at the time only tracked your fast. So he made this app for me. And then he started selling it on the app store. And then it's just gotten better and better and better. And he recently set out to, um, to add a bunch of features because now he's a lot more professional than he was now that he's interned for Apple and interned for, you know, real companies. And he was like, boy, I can't believe how amateur it was, (laughs) you know, underneath the hood, the part where that we don't see. And so he actually has spent months making this better. And he had beta testers and really got their feedback. And it was people who are intermittent fasters that, um, that gave him the feedback and helped him to, um, 
to tweak the features. So I'm so proud of him and this app. So for listeners, definitely check out that app. We'll put links to it in the show notes. And it's also on the Stuff We Like page as well. Yay. And now we like it even more. I know. <laughs> All right. Shall we jump into the questions for today? Yes. Oh, by the way, I did say that it, it he made it so that I could track my eating window. But now it also tracks the fast. It does a whole lot more than just track your eating window. You know, at first, that's all it did. That's what I was looking for. He really made it for his mama, you know, so I would have an app. And um, it just is so much more. And then he kept adding things because people kept asking for more features. And by the way, it's not available on Android yet before anybody asks, but we're, we're talking about that. Um, he does not design Android apps, so we will have to pay someone to do it. So we're talking about you know, what the best way to do that is. And we'll see. That's not a cheap proposition, but I know the Android people really wish they had access to it. So stay tuned. If you really want to have an Android version, we know that. And so <laughs> in the works. cross your fingers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. So our first question today comes from Heather and the subject is Whole30 plus IF. And Heather says, Hello, I'm new to IF. I've been successful with Whole30 Reset and wanted to hear your thoughts on combining the two. I'm a 34-year-old female, mother of two, and my blood test and doctor visits show I'm very healthy. My only issue is from having my gallbladder, my gallbladder removed when I was 13, so I've gone the majority of my life not digesting fats properly. No one told me to take oxbile, so I think over the years my metabolism has slowed a lot. I've asked several doctors in the past few years, and so far no doctor can give me an answer. Despite how clean I eat, no grains, occasional high-quality dairy, minimal sugars, no soda or fast food, etc., and exercise, I could definitely, although I can definitely increase, I'm hoping IF will help me metabolically, among the many other benefits. I'm not really a breakfast person, so I feel like 16-8 would be ideal for me. Thank you. All right, so it's kind of two questions, combining Whole30 and IF, and also I guess she's wondering if a 16-8 intermittent fasting window might help her digestive issues. So, Jen? Yeah, that's a great question, and here's the thing. Whole30 is designed specifically to be an elimination protocol where you stick to it completely, as written, as an elimination protocol and then you can figure out what foods work well for you. It's not supposed to be, you know, like the rest of your life you're eating according to these guidelines because as so many of the experts we've had on the show have reiterated, we want you to be able to add back the most foods that you can. So this helps you pinpoint what foods don't work well for you and it kind of resets your system so that you're um, you're able to then eat foods going forward that work well for you. So yeah, I absolutely think that you could couple intermittent fasting with a, a Whole30 reset. And I actually recommend in um, in my second book, Feast Without Fear, there are two elimination diets I recommend. One of them is, is Whole30, and the other one is um, the Virgin Diet with J.J. Virgin. And I actually recommended that before we had J.J. Virgin on the show, but it's, it's a solid elimination protocol. And does Dr. Ruscio have one too? Am I remembering that correctly? He has, so he has his Healthy Gut, Healthy You protocol. So his book is basically a protocol to fix your gut. Right. Did he have an elimination diet? I can't remember. Well, it part of it is an elimination diet. It's a very personalized right. diet approach. So like, whereas, um, for example, JJ Virgins or the Whole30 is going to be a broad template for everybody, like you kind of – Right. Or like, or like autoimmune paleo, for example. You kind of jump in and follow these rules. His is like a um, – that's why you have to like read the book from beginning to end. It's like you start here and it's like, does this apply to me? And if so, you start by eliminating these foods and then you see how you, how you react and then you kind of follow this little journey through his his protocol. Right. So it's more um, tailored to the individual. Well, I couldn't remember. It's been a while since I, since I read his book. It was summer, but for some reason that stuck in my head. But yeah, I think that you can definitely use um, any elimination diet that appeals to you. Um, to help you figure out what works well for you along with intermittent fasting. And the beauty of it, as Melanie and I have said before, intermittent fasting, I think, makes those even more powerful to help you figure out what does and does not work for you and the way that you feel. Yeah, I was going to say, um, just terminology-wise, it's ironic because I don't like applying the terminology elimination diet to Whole30. Just because, I mean, I guess technically that is what it is, 
But ironically, I mean, a lot of people do – a lot of people who do like a paleo type approach eat the foods on Whole30 and not as like an elimination, you know, because it's – um. I mean, yes, it's an elimination because they're avoiding certain foods, but it's like you've chosen not to eat certain foods, and so you're eating within that paradigm. Um, so I just think terminology is huge. It, for So for example, I personally eat – everything I eat would fall under Whole30, but I don't see myself as following like the elimination Whole30 diet. From what – I mean, I, it was my thought that it was an elimination program. That was the, what it was designed to be. Yes, it is designed as like an elimination protocol for most people coming from like, you know, traditional standard American diet. This is just me personally and my thoughts about terminology. Like this is just this is just my opinion. I just always think it's funny that um, – or interesting that people see Whole30 as they, – they focus on the elimination aspect rather than the foods that you can have. Does that make sense? I'm just really big on terminology and how we view our food choices. Well, I'm, I'm, I think words are powerful, yeah. But yes, it is an elimination diet, especially for people coming from, you know, a standard American diet. They're definitely eliminating. Right. But I just think that you can eat within the Whole30 paradigm. Forever. Yeah, exactly. That was my point. So like my point was like I'm in the Whole30 paradigm basically forever or I am at this time and point in my life. Yeah, because the 30 refers to those 30 days that you, you know, you guarantee or, you you know, that you're you're saying, I am going to do this for 30 days, right? Exactly. It's kind of like people always say, okay, it's kind of like if we said give intermittent fasting. I mean, I know you, you don't like saying this, but if we were said like give intermittent fasting three months and then and then you can stop, you know, like give it a trial run and then most people stick to it. It's kind of like you could say give it 30 days, and then you can add stuff back in. But people might find that they don't want to add in stuff, except for like on occasions. Well, that's the, that's, to me, that's the definition of the elimination diet. That's when you like test the things and try them to see if they're a problem for you. And so the point would be that if, if you are eliminating dairy, for example, after 30 days, you reintroduce it, you'll know if it's a problem or not, rather than saying, I'm going to eliminate dairy forever just because I feel like I should. What if you don't really need to? What if your body's fine with dairy? Do you really want to live your life without dairy if you can enjoy it and and feel great while having it? That's that's my no, point. I there. think that's a great point. I guess I just don't like the word elimination diet because it, it paints this picture of like intense restriction when you can eat a ton. You can eat a ton on Whole30. Well, see, and I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way. I see an elimination diet as a tool to help you figure out what foods work for you instead of like, I don't see it as a long-term thing. Like I would consider Whole30 as a, a the, the elimination diet part of it is the figuring out, you eliminate things to see how they work for you. It's not forever. You're not eliminating them forever unless they don't work for you. And you could find that. And then it's no longer an elimination diet. Now it's what you eat, if that makes sense. It's only an elimination diet during that that challenge time. Okay, exactly. You're, you're doing, and then you could still be eating. Once it's a lifestyle, I mean, you could live a whole thirty lifestyle. That would be different. If you live a whole thirty lifestyle, that's not the same as doing it as an elimination diet. So I guess that's that's the the difference. <laughs> Semantics, but Heather, yeah, they definitely pair together really well. I mean, that's sort of in a way like my book, What When Wine, is kind of pairing together a Whole30-ish, paleo-ish approach with intermittent fasting. I think they go together wonderfully. And I think I like what Jen said. Um, I have can definitely help you m- make you more intuitive. So I think it definitely could help you determine what foods work for you. I do think it would help you metabolically. And then as far as digestion, so I guess you um, I guess you now probably take ox bile. So hopefully that's helping in the, the fat digestion realm. I would encourage you to pay attention to food combinations, especially because you might – find that and you probably are (laughs) having had your gallbladder out since you were 13 I'm sure you've um, experienced this but combining certain foods can definitely affect their digestion and bloating and all of those things so I definitely encourage you to pay attention to that yeah and also you know we've said this before Heather I want to want to make sure to really reiterate you're doing 16-8 and um just if you're looking for weight loss, you may find 16-8 could end up being more of a maintenance plan for you. So if you 
have been doing it for like, let's say four weeks, six weeks, and you're not dropping any weight, that lets you know that 16-8 is, is, is probably not going to be your weight loss plan. But the good news is what works for maintenance and what works for weight loss may not be the same thing. So just you know, consider tightening that window up, but not at first. You don't have to do that at first. Perfect. All right. Shall we go to the next one? This is from Lulu, and the subject is IF and sleep. And Lulu says, hi, ladies. I recently discovered your podcast, and I am binging through them. I haven't heard the question asked yet, and I think there's a chance that maybe it's been answered already. If it has, please disregard this. I'll get to the episode soon enough. Anyway, ever since I started with IF, first 16-8 and now 24 and loving it, I've had a hard time staying asleep. I fall asleep very easily around 9.30 or 10 p.m., but then I'll wake up at around 3 to 4 a.m. and I'll be wide awake. I've tried melatonin, which helps, but I'm not sure if I should be taking it every night. What are your takes on taking melatonin, and is this shortened sleep normal? Thanks. All right, sleep questions. So thanks so much, Lulu, for your question. I do think a lot of people, just in general, (laughs) have sleep issues. I know I do. Um, a lot of people do, may or may not relate to intermittent fasting. The, th- the, the Waking up right awake at 3 or 4 a.m. is a very common thing in general with people. And it often has to do with like a cortisol spike in the middle of the night. I mean, not always, but that often is a thing. And that can be from potentially from what you ate before going to bed and whether or not it's sustaining you throughout the night or if your body is... um going low on blood sugar. So you it it jump starts cortisol and adrenaline to get energy for you and wakes you up. A lot of people experience that. So you may want to look at your food choices, what you're eating before dinner and make sure it's something that keeps you can can keep you asleep. As far as melatonin, so melatonin is the hormone that initiates sleepiness. <laughs> and um we should in theory produce it naturally and it should align with our circadian rhythms, but it can get a little wonky and you can supplement with it to help encourage you fall asleep. It doesn't keep you asleep like in and of itself, but it makes you feel sleepy. So they find in studies, for example, that people who have things like delayed sleep phase syndrome, where for some reason they're going to bed later than they should be, um, or people like who have jet lag or things like that, that you can use melatonin to sort of reset your circadian rhythm. I actually found one thing that said using melatonin can actually completely block problems that come up with your circadian rhythm by bright light, which is pretty interesting. Um, the thing is, it's people say that it's not addictive or that you can use it all the time. The thing that's complicated is the dosaging and how to use it is very complicated. And I'm not the expert on this at all, but I've heard different things. Like I've heard, oh, you know, you take a small amount right before bed. But then I've also heard, actually, you need to take it earlier in the day to initiate that cascade of sleep hormones earlier so that you fall asleep earlier because in theory, your body would be releasing melatonin earlier than, it's not like it gets dark, boom, melatonin. <laughs> um, so it can be a little bit complicated, but Side note, melatonin actually has antioxidant benefits as well. But I will actually recommend for sleep, so addressing your food choices, seeing if that can help work with the waking up at 3 or 4 a.m. That might mean going, it might mean going lower carb, higher fat, and having sustained energy that way. Or it might be the completely opposite and meaning having more carbs before you go to bed, which is ironic, but it could be one or the other or both or neither. (laughs) And um, I will say there's one sleep pill, sleep pill. It's not a sleeping pill. My go-to sleep hack thing is sleep remedy. Um, It's by Dr. Kirk Parsley, and he actually developed it to help Navy SEALs who were suffering with severe sleep loss and insomnia. And it's completely all natural. Rather than being something that knocks you out, it basically just gives your body all of the components that your brain needs to fall asleep and stay asleep. So I, it's a proprietary blend of like, it does have a little bit of melatonin, but then it's things like vitamin D, I think some pH GABA, um, 5-HTP, I believe, might be some other things in there, but I cannot recommend it enough. It, it can be a wonder and really life-changing. So I have links to it on stuff we like, but I'll also put links to it in the show notes. Magnesium can also help people 
But um, yeah, as far as the melatonin, I mean, experiment with it. I don't think you'll do long-term damage or anything, but I definitely think you can hack your way, hack your way, hack your sleep and help everything and get things um, on the up and up, hopefully. Magnesium can help too. Magnesium 3 and 8 is the one that crosses the blood-brain barrier, if you're wondering, so that can have a more calming effect. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, this made me think of an article that I read to the point that I just I just dug it up and pulled it out. And um, this is from, from a website called Science Alert, and we will link it in the show notes. And the article is called, Humans Used to Sleep in Two Shifts, and Maybe We Should Do It Again. <laughs> have you ever read that article? Have you ever heard this? I might have heard the theory. What, is, what does it say? Well, it talks about how um, if we look back at like old writings from, from the past, before the modern era, that there was something, you know, in common that people would talk about the first sleep and the second sleep, and that we are actually designed to sleep in two phases instead of straight through through the night. Like anthropologists talk about this. So they, they did a study early in the 1990s where they had people exposed to darkness for 14 hours every day instead of the typical eight hours for a month, and their sleep changed to the point that they were having a two-phase sleep they would first sleep for four hours, then they would wake up for one to three hours before going back to sleep for another four-hour sleep. So they, like, naturally fell into that kind of pattern. So, you know, we all want to sleep straight through the night, but perhaps this this old way of, like, waking up in the night, it said they would even get up in Europe and, like, do things. They would wake up and do things like sewing or chopping wood or reading just right there in the middle of the night, and then they'd go back to bed. That's really interesting. Isn't that interesting? So if you, um, there's a book, it's called A Day's Close, Night in Times Past. And so what would happen is he talks, this is a historian, Roger Eckert, I think is, is his name. And that at that time period, people would go to bed a couple of hours after dusk. They would wake up for a few, a few hours later for one or two hours, and then they would have a second sleep until dawn. So you know, my sleep kind of does that. You know, I'll, I, I now have this bed that tracks my sleep that I've talked about. And it's pretty obvious, you know, that's what happens. I fall asleep and I sleep like a log. I have the green, 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 green. And then I wake up a little bit and my sleep is a little restless. I don't always remember that in the morning, but then I sleep some more until later. So I just think that's interesting. Maybe intermittent fasting is bringing us back to this to shift sleep like <laughs> people used to just do. I don't know. I wake up very definitively after sleep cycles and I remember it. I'm so jealous of people that go to bed and just sleep and don't wake up till the morning. I'm like, what? What is that? Because I, without, <laughs> without a doubt, wake up. I'll wake up after 90 minutes or I'll wake up after two 90 minute cycles. So like three hours. Um, although I did do an experiment where I wasn't drinking any wine before bed and I was playing around with no caffeine, and I did fall into something similar to that. I would sleep four hours, wake up, and then sleep four hours. Uh, inter- that's interesting how that how that works. But here's a quote from the article. It says, interestingly, the appearance of sleep maintenance insomnia in the literature in the late 19th century coincides with the period where accounts of split sleep started. That's hard to say. I feel like I'm having a tongue twister. <laughs> split sleep start to disappear. Thus, modern society may place unnecessary pressure on individuals that they must obtain a night of continuous consolidated sleep every night, adding to the anxiety about sleep and perpetuating the problem. So I just think that's interesting because I have felt that way too when I've been awake in the middle of the night. But we hear about it from all sorts of people, not just intermittent fasters. You know, a lot of a lot of people have that where they wake up and we have all these reasons like, oh, it's your liver, it's your this, it's your that. You know, maybe maybe it's really more natural than we think, and it's not a problem, and it's the way our body is supposed to be. And this, you know, the historians are are kind of giving us some hints in that direction. I just think that's fascinating. As soon as I, I remembered that I had read this, and this was just something that I read, you know, someone had linked it on Facebook, and I thought it was interesting, and I read it a long time ago, um, and I, I just remembered it, and I was able to find that article again because it, it's an interesting idea to think about. Because so many people are doing it, you know, it, 
not just intermittent fasters. It also reminds me of probably the most fascinating thing I ever read about sleep that stuck with me, kind of like that article. And this is really reassuring for people, I think, who have sleep issues or consider themselves insomniacs. Did you know that people, you know, people, you know, when people have insomnia and they'll be, and they'll think, they'll swear they didn't sleep. Like they'll swear they just laid there all night. When they do sleep studies, you, they actually are sleeping, but it's a um, different phase. So a lot of people who have sleep problems, they do fall asleep, but it's like a lighter phase of sleep and they like kind of live in that world, but then they think they think they were awake the whole time. And once once I read that study, I realized that that would, that would happen to me. Like I realized that um, – and, and if you ever had insomnia, you probably relate. There'll be like a time where, you know, you swear you, you laid there for three hours, but then if you think back about it, it's kind of like three hours – I mean – just passed. Like, I don't know, like it's like three hours later and you swore that you just laid there awake, but really you were in and out of a different mode of sleep. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just a different, um, yeah. Once I learned that though, that really helped me because I was like, okay, I, I am sleeping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and something that's also helped me is if you don't sleep, it'll be okay. Because I think, I think we stress so much about sleep and that just makes it worse. And ideally we do want to sleep and we know the importance of sleep and we're often sleep deprived, but I think it can be detrimental to freak out about it and think, oh, this is so unhealthy or I need to sleep for my health or I need to sleep to function when really if you don't sleep, it's okay. And hopefully you'll be sleepier the next day. Yeah, we do stress a lot about sleep, but I just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up. Maybe, maybe when you wake up, you can think, oh, I'm just like the medieval Europeans <laughs> and it's okay. And instead of being stressed about it, you're like, all right, I'm just having my split sleep. But it really is so interesting to look at my data from my sleeping and it's, it's pretty much every night this is my pattern. And I don't always know that I've, I've been restless around that time, but my bed tells me I was. I used to use the sleep, a sleep tracking app. And then I stopped because it was making me neurotic. But maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring it back out of curiosity. Yeah, I don't look at mine every day, but it, it records the data every day. And I was always a little like wary of because it would make connections like over time and be like, this food is negatively affecting your sleep, or this food is helping because you can track all these like notes and things. But then I was like, how does it? You know, it could be wrong, and then I could make this assumption that's not even true, which could be in my benefit or it could be to my detriment. So. I also had one other thing I wanted to bring up that um, that I wrote down, but I haven't said yet. And I wonder how old Lulu is because women who are perimenopausal and, and going through through menopause and, and beyond report having sleep disturbances related just to that. That that's just very very common as as women get older that we um we have sleep disturbances. Could be that. So if Lulu, if you're perimenopausal, that could have something to do with it. I really, really want to get Dr. Kirk Parsley, who makes that sleep supplement on our podcast for a sleep episode. But yeah, he's not answering my emails. If anybody knows Aww. him, if anybody knows him. <laughs> then we could ask him about the split sleep schedule, see if he knows about that. We could ask him so many things. So if anybody happens to know him or have a connection, please email me. I'm begging you. I want to get him on. Awesome. I mean, it's their customer support that I've been emailing, but... I think what I need to do is I think I think I'm emailing them and they're like, oh, you know, somebody just pitching something. So I think I need to actually ask a question about the product and start a really long conversation and then they can't just exit the conversation, you know. Oh, that's a good point. That's one of my that's one of my ways of doing things, my secret strategy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get get somebody talking and then ask what you really want. <laughs> All right. Um shall we jump into our next questions? Yes. So we have two questions. Um they go together, sort of. So the first question comes from Barbie, and the subject is food and taking serapeptase. And Barbie says, hello, ladies. I am fairly new to IF, about two and a half months, and I love how I feel doing IF. Plus, the weight is slowly coming off. I have so much more energy than I used to. I love to listen to you while I commute to and from work every day, and when I go for a walk on my lunch hour instead of eating. The two of you have kept me motivated to keep with the IF lifestyle and not give up when I get the hungry grumbles. After listening to your podcast, I started taking serapeptase with a glass of water when I first get up. The bottle says to take away from food. My eating window is in the evenings from about 6 to about 8 or 9, 
so I am well into the fasted state when I take it in the morning. And then here comes the little twist. My question is, how long should I wait until I have my black coffee after taking the serapeptase, or does it even matter? Is coffee considered a food? I've been trying to wait about 30 minutes after taking it before I have my black coffee, but it's a struggle for me. I really look forward to my first cup of coffee in the morning, and if I don't have to delay having my first cup, I would rather not have to. Ideally, it would be great if I could take the serapeptase with my coffee, but I don't want to cancel out the health benefits from the serapeptase. What are your recommendations? Thanks for all your great research and advice that you share with all of us IFers. Love you both. And then the next question comes from Brooke, and the subject is coffee is not a food. And Brooke says, hi, Jen. And yes, it, this is directed completely to Jen. <laughs> Hi, Brooke. (laughs) Hi, Jen. In today's podcast, you said creamer is food and you cannot fast with food, but what makes coffee not a food? And then she says, and I love this, she says, by the way, I agree with you. I'm just curious on the logic. I love this. So coffee, is coffee a food? Actually, maybe first we can say about um, serapeptase with coffee. I think the reason serapeptase needs to be taken on an empty stomach is because if you take it with food, it will digest the food rather than entering into your system and becoming systemic. That's kind of like what we were talking about with the proteolytic enzymes, like from bioptimizers, for example, you know, taking it in the fast versus with the food. So I don't think taking it with, this is just me talking, I'm not positive, but I don't think taking it with coffee, I've never seen a problem because there's not really anything to digest in the coffee that the serapeptase would be digesting. Do you agree with that? I do. And I I take mine and then have my coffee. So no worries there. Coffee, is coffee a food, Jen? What are your what are your thoughts? Well, that's yeah. That made me think. You know, like, well, okay, how do we define food versus not food? And then I thought, all right, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm going to give you a really simple explanation here. Like I'm talking to you know, because that's what I do. I break things down in a simple way. So think about this. Think about it in the very simplest form. All right. So the question was, you know, I said creamer was a food, and coffee is not. So what's the difference? Think about this. Let's say that I decided to have nothing but creamer all the time. Would I be able to maintain my weight or gain weight if I just like started piling on the creamer and drinking lots and lots of creamer and creamer cream? Yes, yes, I could. I could gain weight or maintain my weight on creamer. Could you maintain your weight if all you had for the rest of your life was coffee or would you die? Yes, you would die. (laughs) Coffee is not a food. (laughs) So I was like, well, that that kind of is an easy way of looking at it, right? So it has no calories. It doesn't provide energy. It's not providing energy for my body. I can't build my body up from it. It's not, you know, basically... I could not survive and live on just coffee for the rest of my life. But, I mean, I'm not suggesting you live on creamer for the rest of your life. But, I mean, you would you would not, like, I mean, you might die. <laughs> creamer is not a very, I'm talking about creamer and not cream. But, but you would creamer, be getting energy from the creamer. You would be getting energy from it, exactly. Coffee, and that, that makes it. Like, coffee seems to give you energy, but it's just because it's breaking down your pre-existing energy stores and making them more accessible. Right. So it's letting you pass exactly. into your own energy. It's not actually exactly. giving you energy. Right. It's not you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to build your body up or um, you know, you're not gonna grow. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not getting nutrients out of that coffee. So it's it's not a food. And that's just a very simple way of looking at it. But you know, you could not live for the rest of your life on just coffee, but you could survive and not waste away if you had enough creamer, although that would be gross. And then I can totally see a follow-up question from listeners being like, well, so so coffee's not a food, but then what about, you know, stevia, sweetened lemonade? Well, see, that's not the reason we avoid stevia. We avoid stevia because we want to keep our insulin low. And yes, it's true. If you had nothing but stevia-flavored lemonade, you would eventually waste away and die from because that's not giving your body energy either. But we don't want to to have the insulin go up during the fast. That's why we avoid those things during the fast. We avoid some things that are food, and we avoid some things that are not food because of the effect they have on the body. So in one way, stevia sweetened lemonade and coffee are both not providing, I mean, maybe from the lemon, but 
not providing calories, not providing energy, but the coffee is stimulating a fat burning state and helping your insulin. Whereas the stevia sweetened lemonade is hindering your insulin, hindering your fat burning ability. There you go. That's a great distinction. You said it perfectly. Boom. Neither are food, but they have different effects that we can use to our benefit or to our detriment. Exactly. Well said. All right. I was excited about that question. Yeah, I liked it too. When it came, when it came in, I was like, I was like, this is fun. <laughs> uh, and I was like, well, how am I going to explain that? <laughs> and then I was like, well, okay, that makes sense. I think you did a good job. Good. All right. So we move on to the next one. This is Rebecca. And Rebecca asks, or her subject is, what to say when someone tells you IF is bad for you? And her question is, what would be a nice way to respond to educate your friends who freak out when you tell them you are doing IF and they try to tell you that IF is bad for you? So what do you say about that, Melanie? All right. So this is a great question from Rebecca and definitely a really common issue, I think, for a lot of people. I don't know, Jen, have you are you familiar with this problem people often experience? Yes, I even talk about this in Delay, Don't Deny. And how people freaked out on me when I told them I was doing it. (laughs) I was going to say, this is a huge part of my book. And when I first self-published What When Wine, it didn't have like a social guide really um, about this. I mean, it talked about it briefly, but when I re-released the book and went through a traditional publisher, I was like, there needs to be a dedicated like social guide. Um, My first sentence of the social guide, I say that you think the hardest thing about paleo or intermittent fasting would be the whole not eating certain things thing or just the straight up not eating thing. But as it turns out, those are kind of, those things are kind of a breeze. And then I say that like, what is the hardest part? And it's other people (laughs) or even, I think that's true. And then, but then I say, allow me to rephrase. It's dealing with your reactions to other people's reactions because People can do what they want and people can react what they want, but whether or not that you let that get to you is really where the issue comes in. Because if you didn't care what people thought, then it wouldn't really matter. Um, but so shameless plug, I will <laughs> recommend that you check out my book, What, When, Why, and I'll put links to it. It has a really, really intense social guide. But some of the things I discuss in there as far as for Rebecca's question specifically, like nice ways to educate your friends when they freak out. So like I said, I, I do have like a whole section in the book about, you know, identifying where they're coming from and, you know, is it coming from their own insecurities? Is it coming from health concerns for you? Is it coming from um, social concerns because it's like an awkward situation to them and they they don't like the idea of, you know, you, you not eating in a certain situation? And I think identifying where it's coming from can help you figure out how to respond. But let's say, for example, from Rebecca's question, it sounds like she just wants to educate people who are freaking out. So I'm going to assume for whatever reason they're freaking out before we even talk about addressing their concerns. Anything you can do to not draw attention to intermittent fasting if you suspect that your friends might be the ones to freak out um, can be good. So you know, not like parading around being like, hi, I'm I'm IFing and I'm not eating. This is so great. You know, you can just keep things on the down low, you know, only only bring it up if it comes up and if it's important. And if it does, um, some things I encourage is have your go-to explanation. So like kind of have your response that you're ready to spit out. <laughs> and then if you want to go into more detail, you can. Um, so I like, I think it's important to like make it really personal. So rather than saying, you know, we need to do IF because it's um, it, it, it can do all these things. Like say, I do IF because it gives me energy. You know, it stops my appetite. It lets me like to eat what I want. So you can make it about you rather than about them per se. If you've been doing it for a while, adding a timeline can make it really le- legitimate. So if you say like, I mean, if you've been doing IF for a few days, they're probably going to still think you're crazy. But if you've been doing it for months or even years, I mean, it's hard to argue with that. So the more, the longer you go, the more legit it can seem. So, you know, you can say I've been doing IF for three months now and it's been wonderful. I do like to have a go-to like science of fat burning sentence. 
<laughs> so like rather than laying out all the all the studies <laughs> um just have something short and simple that you can say so you could say like you know when i'm fasting my body releases stored body fat for energy which supports my metabolism and energy and i just find that i function better and that's you know scientifically supported in the literature i mean that that's a good good thing to say you could also mention some of the health benefits like really briefly um, I find that when people, when you like throw really big words at people, they're like, they're like, oh, so have some go-to like big words in your pocket, autophagy. Yeah. Keep that, keep that one. So like, you know, you could just be like, you know, well, studies do show that fasting, you know, supports autophagy, old breakdown, of, breakdown of proteins in the body. It could increase longevity, boost immune function, prevent disease. Just throw out a lot of words. <laughs> and the thing is these words, we're not trying to like, you know, sway them with words. This is all scientifically supported. I mean, Jen, have, Jen and I have this whole podcast about it. Um, but those words can really, really help. Oh, that was my next point. I have something science-y sounding. The sentence I have is, fasting upregulates neurotransmitters and catecholamines in the body, which creates an alert energetic state. So you can just like memorize, you don't have to, but you can like memorize <laughs> a go-to sentence. Also, just some other really quick things. So always prioritize the health aspects rather than the diet aspect. I find that's really important. If you make it more about health than weight loss, people tend to respond a lot better. Try not to be defensive because if you start it off by being defensive with your response, it seems like something's wrong. Whereas if you are passionate about intermittent fasting right from the get-go and just explaining why you love it and how it's scientifically supported, I find that way more effective. And similar to that, staying positive is just really, really important. Yeah, I always, I also like to emphasize that I do intermittent fasting because I love food. <laughs> so make rather than making it about restriction, and actually this kind of goes back to the whole 30 thing, like making it about what you love rather than what you're restricting. So rather than saying, um, I'm, you know, following this restricted window or I'm eating in a window because it helps me eat less or something like that. No, no, no. I would not encourage that. Um, you can emphasize, no, with intermittent fasting, it allows me to eat, you know, to satiety and eat what I want and really enjoy food within this eating window. And I find it really freeing. So I think, yeah, capitalizing capitalizing on all of the positives and the, the freedom aspect and making it about you, not them, and doing the science, the, the quick little science things, and then I'm um, sticking out for the long run so that you can let it stick so that you can let it speak to yourself. And then at the end, even if people do react crazily, you're the one who decides how you interpret that and how you let it affect you. So what are your thoughts, Jen? I think it's time for us to stop feeling defensive about it. There was a, a, a study, not a study, there was a survey. It was like, I don't know, some some international food survey that they do every year where they talk about trends in food, trends in dieting, trends in that sort of thing. And in the the most recent one, they found that of that of all the people who claimed they were on some sort of quote dietary plan, okay, these are the people who answered the survey and said yes, they were on a diet or doing a program or on a plan of some sort. The number one most answered plan that they were doing or protocol was intermittent fasting. Ten percent of all the people who answered that said they were doing intermittent fasting as their, quote, dietary plan of all the people that were trying to to diet or whatever. So that's huge, y'all. You know, that was the biggest plan that people answered that they were trying. This is not something that's fly by night. It is absolutely something that we should be proud of. Yeah, we're early adopters of it, but it's just gaining more and more ground. Nowadays, when when people ask me, you know, what I do for a living or if I'm meeting new people, you know, of course, I no longer say I'm a teacher. I say I'm a writer and a podcaster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I was going to I was going to say, what do you what do you say? And, yeah, it's so much fun to be able to say that. I tell them, yeah, I'm, I'm a writer and a podcaster. And of course, then they always want to know what it's about. And I say intermittent fasting. And I said, have you heard of that? And most people now say, oh, yeah, I have. People have heard of it. So it's not like it was even a year ago, y'all. This is something that's out there. If 10% of, of dieters are claiming this is the strategy they're using and it's the, the most re- reported one of all the different things that they could have said, this had the, you know, the highest percentage of people saying it, 
then we have nothing to be embarrassed about. And really, I would just look at them and say, gosh, you haven't heard of it. I'm so surprised. <laughs> Where have you been? You know, it's it really is the time that we've got to stop feeling like it's something we have to, you know, have a strategy and just it's it's out there. You know, there are people doing all sorts of different things, and this is a legitimate strategy. Um of course, here in Georgia, I can always talk about Herschel Walker because he's the most famous University of Georgia football player ever, and he has been eating one meal a day since he was in high school. So <laughs> I could just say, did you know this is how Herschel Walker has always eaten since before he even played for UGA? And they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, I wish I'd have known that back when I first started. I could have talked about that with the naysayers. And um, I also find you know, like Rebecca asked, what do you say to friends? If you want to educate your friends, here's the the good thing. You don't have to. You don't have to educate them. Say, oh, I've got this book that I would like to lend you. And once you read it, let's talk about it and see what you think. Because then, you know, you, Rebecca, are not having to educate them. You're letting me or Melanie or whatever book, you know, maybe it's the obesity code you let them read. I guarantee they're not going to read the obesity code just to, to prove fasting is <laughs> I mean, I love the obesity code, don't get me wrong, but that's not the one they're going to probably read if they're <laughs> not sure about fasting. But I bet they'd read Delay, Don't Deny. So have them read it and, and say, here, borrow this and read it, and then I would love to talk to you about what you think. And if they really are, are curious, maybe they will read it and see that, hey, this is good. But probably most of them will be like, never mind. But, you know, you can refuse to have a conversation with someone who who will not educate themselves on, on a topic. Just say, I will talk to you about this once you read something. Then let's chat and tell me what you think. Because then the ball's in their court. You do not have to prove it to them. You do not have to educate them. It's like, anyway, we, you and I have talked about this before. One of the reasons we wrote, I think, our book was just so right. that we could have all of the information in one place. <laughs> And have yeah. a resource that we could be like, here's all the things because there's so much. And um, yeah, that's a really good suggestion, though. And just really, if I could get anything out there, you know, as we're we're getting into you know 2019, literally minutes away, unless you're already in 2019 listening to this, but <laughs> you know, it's time to stop feeling like what you're doing is is something that needs defending. Because if if that's the number one diet strategy that people are saying they're using on this survey, then then it's out there. And we are not, you know, these weirdos doing something that it's odd. People have heard about it. And then you could even, you know, throw out some celebrities that are doing it or, you know, whatever. There are people out there that are doing it. And it's it's not weird. Yeah. And it's really interesting how much of it is like a societal construct. Like I was having right. a conversation yesterday. And um, so I'm a late night eater, as you know, and a lot of our listeners right. know. So – this person had heard of intermittent fasting before, actually. And they were like, oh, well, what's your window? And I got, like, really excited. And then <laughs> – but then I said – and I kind of make it sound, like, a little bit longer than it is because I typically will start eating a little bit later. But I was like, I might, for example, start eating around 7 and then, like, munch even until, like, 2 or something. And they were like, oh, that's terrible. And I was like, well, think about it. So 7 to 2, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, that's 7 hours. If I had said, oh, I eat from 12 to 7 – which is also seven hours, I don't think that would seem weird. You know, like they wouldn't be like, right. oh, that's terrible. But right. um, there's like, we have all these constructs about what is normal and what like the way you should be eating. And we're conditioned to think that you have to be eating, especially like you have to eat eating during the day. And a lot of people do intermittent fasting with the daytime eating window. So I'm if, you, if that works for you, do it. But we definitely, there's definitely this whole, like I said, society. <laughs> and yeah. I just encourage people to do you. And it's your body. You know what makes you feel the way that makes you feel. And you can stick to that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we need to stop judging ourselves or judging others or judging ourselves for for judging ourselves, which is what I will do too. Um, and yeah. just be more accepting and know that you can change at any time. You can try anything at any time. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. And you can also engage in wonderful conversations with people who are open to discussing it. Yeah. And the key is is to remember is this. What you're doing is research-based. I'm having more and more members come into the Facebook group saying they heard about intermittent fasting from their doctor. You know, I have someone coming up on intermittent fasting stories soon, and she heard about um, intermittent fasting from her oncologist who does it 
as does his surgeon wife. They both do intermittent fasting, and he recommended that she do intermittent fasting. I mean, if your oncologist and his surgeon wife are doing intermittent fasting as their lifestyle, you know it's something that that's not you know weird. It's it's healthy, and these doctors are are reading about it and they're embracing it and they're recommending it to their patients. And yeah, there are a whole lot of people that are lagging behind and they don't know. They just are still, you know, going on the breakfast is the most important meal of the day and you shouldn't eat after 7 p.m. Those are old diet rules that we can we can throw those old ways of thinking out because the more we find out, the more we realize those are just rules that people made up, like the breakfast cereal people or yeah. whatever. I have a really lengthy section on the breakfast myth <laughs> um, in my book, if anybody's interested, I, like combed through the studies. It's really interesting. Well, it is because we just, everybody, everybody quote knows that everybody knows it, but that doesn't mean it's true. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's, to, it's re- really hard to make like cultural paradigm shifts around things like right. that, especially when they're just, mm-hmm. the worst is when, yeah, like, like you said, when they're just, just accepted, like not even questioned. All right. Well, this has been amazing. Do you have a New Year's New Year's goal or what, what New Year's resolution, Jen? Nope, <laughs> I got nothing. I'm just living it already. I, I just um, it, it's it's so freeing now that I'm out of the diet prison because there was always you know the New Year's diet and New Year's weight loss and exercise plan that we were all going to start after the New Year, and um, now I don't have to look for that, and so that's freeing. So. Really, I'm already doing everything I wanted to do. So there's nothing I want to change because I'm already doing it. <laughs> everything. So anyway, what about you? I sort of feel the same. It's like every yeah. every day is like a New Year's resolution day in a way. I don't know. I'm just always having goals and things I want to be going towards. And I don't wait. I don't wait for New Year. There's not. There's. If I identified something was a bad habit that I needed to stop, I wouldn't say, "Well, I'll wait till New Year's." No, not now. I maybe at one point I would. I will say they in that Atomic Habits book, he did say that um, the reason it's good to start things like with a New Year's resolution or you should start things on like a Monday is because mentally in your brain, it feels like a brand new start and you're actually more likely to stick to it. So if you ever want to start like a new habit, he says you should start like on a Monday or like there should be some sort of day that's significant to you that feels like a new beginning. You see, and I'm very impulsive, so I just always start right away. Like when I was going to work out, I'm like, I'm going to go do Pure Bar, and I'm going to start it tomorrow. And then when I didn't like that, and I decided to join the Y, I was like, I'm going to join the Y, and I'm going to go tomorrow. And then I've like been That's every the day way. since. That's the way I am too. <laughs> That's the way I am, yeah. It's like idea so. and go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, well, because if it's a good idea, I don't want to wait. I want to do it now. So, But but with the the whole dieting thing, I think the reason that so many people have the diet New Year's resolutions is because we've just finished the the season of feasting. So that's like a a season of overeating for for so many people. And we've eaten for, you know, Thanksgiving and then we had Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and then we have those New Year's Eve parties and then it's like there's that fresh start. Now the feasting is over and we can all go on a diet. But um that's the beauty with intermittent fasting is that we we can feast and fast all throughout the season. And so, you know, when January 1st rolls around, your pants still fit the same way they did in, on November, you know, 20th, whatever, right? Yeah, I remember I used to like kind of dread. I mean, I loved holidays and I loved the food, but it was like, oh, you're going to have to deal with temptations and dealing with the aftermath. But intermittent fasting takes care of that. There is, yeah, there, there is, is no, no aftermath. aftermath. That's the beauty of it. And it's it's like the freedom of no more aftermath ever again. It's just here we are. Exactly living our life exactly yeah. well happy new year's happy new happy year to you and to anyone who is actually listening on new year's eve yes. <laughs> happy new year i don't know how many people are going to be listening on, on new year's eve but they might because this is when it comes out so those of you who are listening thank you in any case a few things for listeners before we go so if you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast there are two ways you can do that you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com you can also go to our website, ifpodcast.com, and you can submit questions there. Also on that website, that's like I said, where the show notes are, all the references, the stuff we like, all of the things. You can also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, and then you will get the episode downloaded automatically each and every week. So definitely subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. 
And um, you can check out our books for more information on everything, especially if you want to have some go-to resources like we talked about for the science of fasting and just everything. Um, so Jen has Delay, Don't Deny, and I have What, When, Wine, available on Amazon and bookstores. And when I just thought of something, can I say it? This is so exciting. This is the two-year anniversary of Delay, Don't Deny. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. That is weird that's only two years. Like two years. I know. Does not seem. Yeah, I know. But but it was it was it was December thirty first of twenty sixteen that it first was live for sale. So when we started the podcast, it had only been out like six months or so. Four four months. It only been out four months. Well, three because we started in early April, right? So yeah, the book had only been out for. Um, I'd been doing the Facebook groups though since twenty fifteen. Oh right, right. The so groups have been. I had yeah, I had the big group already. I say the big group. It had like 3,500 people <laughs> at the time. That felt like a big group. But yeah, it's my anniversary. So yeah, I'm definitely going to have to celebrate two years. It feels like so much longer. It really does. Well, happy anniversaries. Happy, Thank you. Happy New Year, everybody. And we will see you in the next episode. We sure will. Episode 90 coming up in a week. Oh, I have an idea for episode 100, so stay tuned. Oh, I can't wait. Awesome. Oh, I'm excited. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.